spoke to Jack um, two days ago. I spoke to the team yesterday and addressed this. Jack Eichel is no longer the captain of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, from our perspective and my perspective, I feel the captain is the heartbeat of your team. And we're in a situation from where we were in the past and where we are now that um, felt that we needed to, to address that and make that decision. That is Kevin Adams this morning. So breaking story out of Buffalo. Uh, Jack Eichel no longer captain of the Buffalo Sabres. Welcome to Toronto today. Jim Taddy reporting until 1. Then it's gameplay with Matthew Cousin right off the top. Our TSN hockey insider Darren Dreger able to squeeze us in. Dregs, uh, welcome. What do you make of this situation? Yeah, I mean, it's one more step in the saga, isn't it, Jim, uh, with the Buffalo Sabres. Yep. And now they're uh, former captain Jack Eichel. Uh, I don't think that it, it's really going to muddy the waters any more than than what they are. The end goal here for both the player and for the organization is to find a, a suitable trade for Jack Eichel. But the uncertainty of his health and the ongoing debate between uh, Eichel and his representatives, now CAA Hockey, and the position of the Buffalo Sabres, Jim, which remains steadfast that they prefer the fusion surgery as opposed to the research and the work and to some degree a level of support for the disc replacement surgery. So until there is a decision or determination on which path Eichel is going to go in, uh, I think that makes it real difficult for teams to step up and, and pay the price that Kevin Adams and Buffalo Sabres feel like they need to get something in return for a superstar center and, you know, that's a work in progress, obviously, uh, but time is, is now an enemy for Jack Eichel and for the Buffalo Sabres because let's say that, that Eichel finally concedes, and I'm not saying he will, but if he did and, and opted for the fusion surgery, uh, my understanding is you're talking about upwards of six months of recovery. I, and I frankly haven't done the investigating into the length of the disc replacement, what the recovery would be for that, but I assume it'll be on a similar timeline. So there's a lot of balls in the air with Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres, and you know Kevin Adams, the GM of the Buffalo Sabres, positioning this morning that Eichel effectively is really not part of that team moving forward anymore. Is just another wrinkle in the process. Yeah, I, I'm going to squeeze in a couple of questions. I know you're on a, on a bit of a time crunch here, so I mean this. I, I, yeah, I don't think that anybody saw him. And I don't think anybody saw him, Drake's returning to the uh, the Sabres anyway, but this sort of no. signifies the end of that, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt of that. But it's, you know, it's going to be a tricky process moving forward unless Adams and the Sabres are willing to soften their position and expectation on on what the, the trade rate is for Jack Eichel. You know, Jim, I know that there are teams that still have interest. Um, you know, I know that Kevin Adams is in constant communication with those clubs. Likewise, Papersan, who's now the primary agent for Jack Eichel, they have their lists and they're communicating with those teams. Uh, but now the focus of the general managers that may have expressed some interest and still have a level of interest is on training camp and, you know, getting their teams assembled here for the start of the quickly approaching NHL regular season. So, you know, un unless Buffalo backs off or a team just decides, you know what, if we step in now and we're okay with the idea of the ADR, so the disc replacement surgery, why not take advantage of a situation now? Maybe there's a chance that Eichel can return to the ice and play late in the season and, and help us going into a playoff push. I don't know that there's a team that's willing to do that just yet, uh, but if Buffalo softens and that team steps up, maybe that ends up being best-case scenario. 
And just a quick answer here. I mean, in terms of the treatment that, that is decided, that is the Sabres' domain, is it not? Well, it is for now, absolutely. Um, and that's the difference between, you know, the, the two sides here. You know, the, the player is, uh, is, is preferring the, the disc replacement, and I, I think I can understand why, and I haven't talked directly with Jack on this, Jim, but once you have the fusion surgery, there's no plan B to that. Right. I mean, that in and of itself is pretty self-explanatory. It's fusion surgery. Uh, And there's some limitations in mobility and some issues that you may face. If you have the disc replacement, even though it it hasn't happened at the NHL level, um, you know, and it, it doesn't work as well as you were hoping, then fusion could be a plan B. But that hasn't been determined yet between either side. Dregs, really appreciate you squeezing us in. Thanks very much. All right, Jim. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. That's Darren Dreger, our TSN Hockey Insider. So the breaking story out of Buffalo, Kevin Adams uh, stripping Jack Eichel of the captaincy of the Buffalo Sabres. And as you're well aware, it's a, a disagreement about treatment to uh, an injury. And certainly uh, the team doctors would have one opinion and the player and his medical staff have another opinion. And it is, quite frankly, Jack Eichel's life. And we're talking about uh, rehabbing him as a player, but Jack's going to be worried about quality of life after he plays and, and what's better for his body. So a uh, uh, quite an impasse and i don't know how this works out it may be a, a test case we may be seeing more of this moving forward and just a reminder that the nhl cracking down on cross-checking so so hopefully uh the game cleans itself up and, and hopefully we don't uh, uh, hit this situation again but this is a star player uh 10 million dollar player that that obviously has to look after himself and it's intriguing more audio here from the general manager kevin adams i think we would all agree that uh we were hoping to, as we work through the offseason, to avoid surgery. And certainly with any injury, um, in particular in this one, when you're dealing with the neck, uh, that would have been best-case scenario. Unfortunately, yesterday, Jack did not pass his physical. Um, at this point, Jack is um, not willing to move forward with what our doctors are suggesting is the fusion surgery. Um, so we're going to continue to um, work towards solutions. Well, we'll see what happens there. It's an intriguing story. Coming up in the broadcast within seconds, Joe Bowen, the voice of the Leafs, Rob Longley from the Toronto Sun talking about the Jays and Agua under the bridge gate. Uh, our guy, I guess is the, the better way to Agua under the bridge guy. Uh, Mark Tompkin will be by as well. He's the a raised reporter for the Tampa Bay Times going over what is a, a really a Seinfeld episode with the, uh, the data card. But nonetheless, we move on. Let's bring in Bonesy. Bonesy, how are you today, sir? Good, James. Good. How are you doing? Good, good. And, and so right off the top, then we're going to have our, our own TSN 1050 call with our boss, Jeff McDonald, later this afternoon to work out the logistics. Of the, the, yeah. yeah, so do I. It's always always fun, but we're going to work out the logistics. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the loot bags are always so good. <laughs> yes, guy. <laughs> yes, <God. laughs> well, and I have to figure out where I'm doing my work from, so I don't know. This is a fluid situation. So, so let me right off the top say that it looks like 9,500 fans will be at Scotiabank Arena half full. That's the, the new ruling from, from the province and the provincial health people. Um, that would be a, a welcome sight in itself, will it not be? Yeah, it, Jimmy, I mean, I, it, it's been so long and so frustrating and uh, uh, so many twists and turns, uh, both good and then bad and then good. Um, that just to see some people uh, at anything is, uh, uh, you know, an exciting thing. And 
I, I look forward to it. Uh, I look forward to the noise uh, and, and the, the, the rabidness of the fans. And uh, just getting back to some semblance of normalcy is, uh, I think, very, very important. So take us through what it was like to call those games with, uh, you know, just a, a sparse and, and re- redefining the word sparse gathering there in, in terms of media people. And, you know, I know that Ralphie can only get so loud. What was that like to do those games? <laughs> it was bizarre. Um, you know, the, uh, they tried as best they could to develop some atmosphere in the building uh, with the game ops and with, uh, you know, the, the music and, and, and uh, even, uh, you know, kind of fake crowd noise that they tried to implement in it. But you just didn't get the spontaneity of uh, when something happened. And I, I laughed a couple of times when uh, shots went into the net so quickly that hardly anybody knew that the puck was in, including me trying to broadcast the game. And what I missed most was the glass banger right behind the net, who was obviously <laughs> knew it was in and was up pounding on the glass. And I said, you know what? We don't have goal judges standing uh, or in a seat behind the goal the way we used to. They're up in the press box where we are. And so many times that light doesn't go on uh, right away or at all. But the glass banger, boy, he knew it was in. And, uh, that was always something that you could always count on. <laughs> that was the only time you appreciated that particular individual because well, uh, no. on, on watching it. And it was go, always go ahead. he was well-oiled. Yes, oh, well, that goes with the job <laughs> function, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> you're going to sit here so. and you're going to do that. You, you'd better be well-oiled. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me, ask you, let me ask you this. You have done this for a number of decades, and any time, this is the obvious statement, any time the Leafs have been in the playoffs, your last call was a losing game, which it was a couple of months ago. How does that, that game against Montreal, Game 7, compare with, or does it in any way, shape, or form, or is it a standalone to all the other games that where they exited in the playoffs? Well, it, you know what? It, 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 it's bitter disappointment because there wasn't anything prior to it with a win kind of thing going forward. Obviously, uh, the losses in, uh, in 93 and 94 uh, were bitter. Uh, you thought they had a chance to go the distance. And then, of course, and, uh, they, they'd gone to the Stanley Cup semifinals. And, and uh, you know, Vancouver goes on to play the Rangers, who win the Stanley Cup. And uh, the Maple Leafs lose to uh, Los Angeles, who go on to play Montreal, who wins the Stanley Cup. Those were very bitter, but, but there was exhilaration because of how well they had done. Uh, this was bitter disappointment because this team last year, uh, and I don't stand alone here, uh, lots of other people predicted them to go very deep into the postseason. And really, and that, that was very, very bitterly disappointing to everyone concerned, not just us on the sidelines, but uh, people in the dressing room. And, and I know that many, many, many of those players sat in that room in tears and disbelief and frustration and depression uh, after that game, regardless of not having fans in the stands or anything else. Um, So I look forward to this year because that lesson has been taught. Uh, Other times when they've lost, say, to the Bruins or, or, or whatever, in the first round, well, you know, they weren't favored. 
they they weren't the favorite to move on. It was this, but last year they were. They were they were heavy favorites, and um, you know that that's a lesson that has been taught and now has to be learned. And that mental toughness has got to be acquired the next time they move on. And this team is certainly good enough to get right back there uh, and be in that position again, but next time not to have that happen. Yeah, I think everybody would agree with that. Um, there's there's pressure to deliver this season. Um, I think the fan base will probably start it uh, quite skeptically and, and understand that while you and I may be happy with what's happening during the regular season, they're not going to buy in until, until much later on. So, so let's flip this around. Instead of going down the negative route, what are your reasons for optimism this season? Well, the core is back. Um, uh, John Tavares will be back. Uh, I, I'm very excited. I mean, th- this is a group that obviously Kyle Dubas and uh, ownership and management very much believe in. Uh, I think they have augmented uh, the losses that they've had with some pretty impressive people. I look forward to uh, Nick Ritchie uh, being a big part of this. I think that uh, Michael Bunting is going to be a good part of this. Nick Robertson coming uh, after a couple of years in the minors and a highly touted Offensive player, I think, is going to be a big part of this. I like the goaltending. I really like Jack Campbell, and I think that uh, Peter Morazic is going to do a great job as a tandem to both of them. So I, I think there's lots there, uh, and I think we should be excited about it. And I think we have to be excited about the regular season because this is where the confidence and everything and all of the, uh, the, the work togetherness and everything is going to be worked out. Uh, I know there are some changes in the coaching staff. I'm sure there's going to be some tweaks to a power play that was both very, very good and very, very frustrating at times. Uh, but they have the talent there. And if they can weather the storm of uh, any severe or, uh, or long-term injuries, this team's going to be very, very exciting to watch during the regular season. And they have to have a great regular season in order to be in a good position when the postseason starts. So, I think from day one, you got to get on the bandwagon again, lather up the steed, and get that whip going, but let's get this wagon moving and get it moving in the right direction. Well, I like the way you described that. I mean, the, the, the core players are back, and there is pressure on them, but there are new coaches, fresh eyes there. Um, there's just a, a, a glut of people auditioning for key spots on the left side, and nobody knows how that's going to track or whether injuries play a factor or not, but there's enough depth in numbers there that, that there could be several different looks that, that apply for this team, and I, I think that would create some optimism for playoffs where you have to shuffle things around based on matchups. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, Jimmy. And, I, and, and uh, their depth, I think, is something that is going to be tested as well. I, I think they're a, a deep team with, a, with some good young people. I mean, the, the return of Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza and people like that is going to be obviously an, an, a key component to all of this. But it is, um, it, it's something to watch. And there are, there are going to be some questions. I mean, Ilya Mikheyev is asking for more responsibility. Um, and, and people like that are going to be interesting to watch as it goes forward. They've got lots of depth that's at various positions, but the core is going to have to be the guys that carry the load, and they're the ones that are going to have the microscope on them. But, we're, 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 but here's another. We're not celebrating a guy making the All-Star team first team since 1963. I mean, really? I, I mean, that's a long time I ago. 
mean, this guy is a talented, talented player, and Mitch Miner deserves a little more love, I think, than the criticism that he's gotten for uh, the playoff run. So, uh, you know, I, I think everybody needs to take a deep breath, and I know it's frustrating, and I know it's been a long time, but we are a lot closer today than we have been for a long, long time. So let's see if we can't just push that envelope a little further. Well, and so you've got a Rocket Richard Trophy winning center who did that with a sore wrist that was operated on. You've got a, a first-team all-star right winger that hasn't happened, as you said, since 1963. And in any other market, uh, certainly in Canada, I think they would be more than welcome. But in the States, these guys could have uh, streets named after them to, for their accomplishment. And yet here, it's that 54-year drought that's a, a, a severe caller, isn't it? Yeah, and, uh, you know, the same was for the Boston Red Sox, who hadn't won since uh, 1912. And how about the Chicago Cubs, who hadn't won since 1908? Um, you know, that it, it, they became the lovable losers, but, you know, the fan base was still pressuring and still hoping, and they had a number of opportunities, both of those clubs, to uh, right that wrong, and it didn't happen right away. And And... You know, I, I keep telling people, this is a really, really good league. It is a really good league. And it really doesn't matter what you make. Uh, there are players uh, in this league that can certainly, uh, game in and game out, play up to a level well beyond what their pay grade says that it is. And so you, you have to understand that. And you don't have to like it, I guess, but you have to understand it. And uh, uh, I'm sure that that's the situation going forward here. Uh, and I'm sure that there's a lot of that chat in, in the dressing room about having to get through this, be positive, make sure we, they have a great regular season, and obviously open the door. You know, we've talked about the core players doing their job, and we expect they will, and then that audition, that open audition on the left side. But I want to go back to some names you threw out there. Uh, here are the regulars, uh, Simmons, Spezza, Engvall, Kerfoot, and Mikheyev. You talked about Mikheyev. He's going to get the, a bigger look this year. But, but in terms of those five guys, if they were to contribute to their abilities and, and maybe push that envelope, that's another nice add to the Leafs' problem of depth, isn't it? Well, you can't have too much, Jimmy, and injuries are going to be a factor uh, with a full season. Uh, you know, these guys are going to play a full season for the first time in two years, you know. So mm -hmm. that yeah. is something. But, uh, yeah, I think they've done a nice job of, of uh, putting in some people and plugging in some uh, names that will give them some depth. And also the other thing that, that Sheldon Keefe is very uh, cognizant of and enjoys is flexibility. Um, what you see day one is not necessarily going to be there day 20, and that's not going to be there day 40. And then at the end of the 82-game schedule, it may be completely different. So um, it gives him some flexibility. It gives those players uh, a window and an opportunity. They're not just buttonholed into some area and that's it. That's where you're going to be. Um, uh, you know, uh, success and uh, 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 diligence and hard work are going to have its uh, just rewards. And I think that that's something that, uh, that Sheldon Keith certainly has demonstrated in his coaching tenure and now really in his very first uh, full-time uh, training camp uh, will be an opportunity for him to, uh, again, demonstrate that as we go forward, not only in the preseason, but in the early season when things get going. 
Well, Bonesy, let's talk about Morgan Riley. And, and when I talk about him, I, I put him into two categories. Morgan Riley's contract and how it fits into the lease cap is off to the side for, for purposes of this discussion. Let's talk about the player here. And, and really, going into a contract year with the possibility of playing in the Olympics and the, the possibility of, of him having a full season with Brody on, on the right side, like the full 82 games, uh, this is opportunity knocks for him, doesn't it? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, now, you know, he's a, he's a veteran player. Um, he, he wears that crest um, on his heart. Um, he is a heart and soul guy. Um, and he, if, if John Tavares wasn't wearing the C, I would be very shocked that Morgan Riley wasn't. Um, and yeah. I think that, uh, you know, it, it, you mentioned the Olympics, and that's another carrot that's at the end of the, the, the line here as far as, players uh, having a good regular season and a good start to their season. And I, I don't think that there's any question that someone like Morgan Riley has got to be at least on the list as far as the uh, Olympics is concerned for Team Canada. And, uh, you know, then it's up to him. And uh, it's not a bad idea either to have a motivated guy looking to try and make the Olympics and come up with a brand-new contract. Uh, that kind of motivation is uh, well uh, enjoyed by coaching and management alike. So uh, I'm sure Morgan Riley's going to have a very good season and if he stays healthy, and again, as you mentioned, playing with Brody for a full season, uh, I think that tandem will be very good. Uh, let's talk about the goaltending. As, as a former goaltender, I know you have your eyes hey, 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 uh, hey, hey, really hey, focused. Hey, hey, just a minute. Current goaltender. I'm playing for the <laughs> Unionville Men's League in my 70th year. I have made the cut. <laughs> A goaltender of some repute. How about that? Does that work? Uh, very, very little repute, but yes. Thank you. I still yes. have all some, the I said some. I, I, yes. I didn't want to quantify, but some repute. Um, so when you look at the Leafs' new look back there, and, and obviously a big opportunity for Campbell, but also a big opportunity for an emerging tandem, and you know, clearly it's not Carey Price or Vasilevsky, but where, where do you rate the Leafs' goaltending? Well, you know, Jimmy, one of the things, one of the uh, a dear friend of mine is Jimmy Bedard, uh, who uh, I rode the bus with when he was playing junior hockey with the Sudbury Wolves. And he was the longtime goaltending coach for the uh, Stanley Cup champion Detroit Red Wings, and they had a pretty good run of goaltending down there. And I remember when Peter Morazic arrived on the scene, and Jimmy Bedard just raved about him, raved about his ability to play, raved about his personality. And I think that he and Campbell are going to be a really, really good tandem. Um, how it all sifts out, uh, who ends up, if indeed anyone ends up being a number one, um, would be interesting to watch through the course of the season. But they're going to be supportive of one another. They're going to push one another. And that augurs well for the Leaf uh, goaltending and obviously for their team defense, which a year ago, uh, was much, much better. I mean, the, that statistic alone uh, was a, a tremendous feather in the cap of the coaching staff as, and the defense corps and the goaltending, and Campbell was a huge, huge part of that. So uh, I look forward to them uh, pushing one another. I think that they're going to have a, a real good season, and I think the Leafs' defense and their goals against is going to benefit because of it. Bonesy, it's great to hear the optimism in your voice. I think that's the tonic Lee fans were looking for. You're pretty upbeat here. 
I am, Jimmy. And you know what? It, it, it takes. I've had to talk a lot of people off the ledge. I understand that. Um, you know, it, but 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 we weren't. No one was on the ledge when they didn't make the playoffs for eleven straight years. I mean, there wasn't even a ledge. So um, you know, sometimes the pain that you feel because of the frustration and the disappointment uh, has got to be shuffled aside. And you've got to take a a back step and take a look at what is there. And what is there is a pretty optimistic group uh, going forward for this year. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Bonesy, thanks very much, and I know we'll chat later today on the on the, uh, the station conference calls. We have the game Saturday night, uh, Leafs against Montreal at Scotiabank Arena. Thanks very much. Jimmy, can I do a, a bit of a plug for the Johnny Bauer Foundation? Sure. Uh, Absolutely. The second annual luncheon is going to be held in Milton at the community center there on October the 3rd. Um, and uh, arguably the most famous um uh, alumni in the history of this organization, uh, the Bauer family, uh, wife Nancy, and uh, the, the two John Bowers, second and third, are organizing all of this. A number of great uh, NHL old-timers are going to be in attendance. There's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great prizes, and the benefits uh, go to a foundation that is in the name of John Bauer that is uh, going on, um, his philanthropy is going on, in various areas, including uh, our armed forces, uh, pets, and and uh, uh, veterinarian things in Peterborough. So by all means, you can go to the John Bauer Foundation to uh, check out for tickets, and it's going to be a, a great day. Uh, well said, Bonesy. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. You bet, guy. Take care. That's Joe Bowen, voice of the Leafs, and John Johnny Bauer. I mean, wh- what a great guy! What a great family! This this is. Um, I used to love talking with Johnny, and even his wife Nancy, who's uh, you know just as special as Johnny was. That's for sure. Um, let's see here. So a big year for Morgan Riley. Uh, Pierre LeBron on Insider Trading last night, uh, talking about the urgency to get a Riley deal done. Yeah, I don't know about urgency, Gino. What I can tell you that there have already been some preliminary talks during the summer. They've kept that pretty quiet, but nothing really concrete at this point. The expectations, I'm told, is that GM Kyle Dubas and veteran agent J.P. Barry will chat again here during training camp in the next little while. But I'm not really sure that something is going to done quickly. And a lot of it has to do with where the new UFA D market has been set. Dougie Hamilton, Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, Darnell Nurse, all getting deals this past offseason for $9 million plus. Um, and so that's pretty difficult for the Leafs to get into at this point, depending on other moves when it comes to next year. So to me, I think the dialogue will be open. It will continue, but I suspect this will drag on potentially into June. Well, we'll see. That's Pierre LeBron on Insider Trading with Gino Retta and Darren Dreger last night. Uh, we have word, uh, some of the, the lineups, and again, the, the camp is broken up into two groups. One hit the ice at 10, the other at 1 this afternoon. So Brooks between Marner and Richie, Kerfoot between Nylander and Mikheyev, and Amadio between Spezza and Robertson and the blue line, Riley Dermott, Dahlstrom Hall, uh, the pairings there of note, but not to really read anything into it. Going to talk baseball, and this is an opportunity for the Jays. I know they, they sit in 
on the outside of the wild card. Boston is a two-game lead. The Yankees have the final wild card spot, and the Jays are a half game out. But Boston and the Yankees do not play today. Toronto opens a, a weekend in Minnesota, so there's that opportunity. Boston and the Yankees play themselves. They play each other uh, this weekend, so they could cancel each other out if the Jays could go on a bit of a run. And then next week, the final week, Boston has three in Baltimore, three in Washington. The Yankees have three in Toronto and three at home to Tampa. And, of course, the Jays have three at home to the Yankees and three at home to Baltimore. So what I'm saying through all that is if you wake up on Monday morning and the Jays are, even where they are right now, they still have uh, their fate in their hands because they've got three against the Yankees. So uh, this is opportunity knocks. The other two don't play. The Jays do tonight so they can make up that half game and, and slide into a tie um, with the the Yankees. Uh, we'll come back and we'll have Rob Longley up next from the Toronto Sun. And then later on we have uh, from the uh, Tampa Bay Times, Mark Topkin talking about Agua under the bridge, among other things. This is Toronto Today, and you're listening on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. And I wanted to go down and away. Um, as I was coming forward, I felt the, felt the ball slipping out of my hand, and I missed up and up and in, and I accidentally hit him. Um, they can think what they want over there in their locker room, but it is what it is, and that's really all I got. Oh, no, guy. Everybody said the right thing, but Berecki hit uh, Kiermaier and possible suspension and a 7-1 loss to the Rays. Let's get more on that. Rob Longley is here from the Toronto Sun. Rob, how are you today, sir? Hey, good, Jim. Uh, plenty to talk about. This is a fun time of yeah. year. Started out with a data card slip-up, which is a Seinfeld uh, episode, really. Um, and then it was Agua under the bridge. And then, well, uh, things got out of control, and everybody said the right thing. But what what is the fallout here? I mean, we're we looking at suspensions. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how MLB handles it. You know, at this point of the season, um, with really, you know, let's let's get let's get right down to it. It's no harm, no foul for either side. So. I would suspect that maybe they'd weigh in with with some token fines in, in this incident. Uh, probably Baraki, maybe maybe Charlie Montoya, maybe Pete Walker. But to me, it would be a stretch in terms of punishment to to have any any suspensions at this point. And that clip we heard off the top wasn't that great, Baraki. I mean, I, I rewatched yeah. it multiple times this morning, and what a magician he he was to to sort of keep the smile off of his face as he was as he was <laughs> giving his explanation. Well, I mean, there, I mean, there's two uh, Academy Award-winning performances. The the Baraki one is one. Kiermaier, actually, uh, when you slow down the the footage of him realizing there's a card, a data card right in front of him, the look on his face as he grabs it and then looks over his shoulder to see if anybody sees it, and then when you see him squeak into the dugout and casually hand the card to, I don't know who it was, dude in the hoodie, who then quickly slips it in the pouch of the hoodie. I mean, it, it is Seinfeld-esque, is it not? It really is, and then for him to for Kiermaier to express outrage afterwards that people are making a big deal of it. I mean, just by his actions, he made a big deal of it. First of all, it was like he, a kid in a candy store seeing the seeing the prize uh, sitting in front of him, and then, like you said, making sure nobody saw him pick it up, and then very uh, suspiciously giving it to a to a, a, a staff member in the dugout. I mean, it was it was Academy Award all the way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then we have Agua under the bridge, and, and apparently it, it wasn't. But so let's go back to what happened with Baraki yesterday. I mean, is that a, a part of that? Is is the data card? But another part of it is frustration on on the I guess very negotiable strike zone over three days, right? Yeah, I think we certainly saw that in, in the reaction of pitching coach Pete Walker. I mean, when he came out of the uh, dugout and er- erupted the way that he did last night, it was. I think it was as much to do with what happened in that incident as what we saw with the very liberal interpretation of the strike zone over the three-game series in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, the, the way it was, the way Barucki handled it, I, I, I didn't really mind it. I mean, I think I think the, the Rays, if they were being honest, they had to know that something was coming. The fact that Kiermaier was up in, in, the, in his last at-bat in the eighth inning in a 7-1 ball game, I mean, there probably wasn't a person in the stadium that didn't expect something at that point. And what was it, a 93-mile-an-hour fastball to the back? Maybe not even that hard. It was, you know, all things considered in, in, in terms of, you know, beating ball players in baseball, this, this was, was pretty mild and pretty expected. So, but it certainly added a lot of drama to it. And, and what it, where it will really add drama is in two weeks if these two teams uh, are to meet in the, in the American League Divisional round. Yeah, I mean, that was what you came out of it was, oh, something's opened up here, and, and you, you actually can't wait to see it, can you? Yeah, I mean, rivalries are what makes sports great to watch for fans, for players, for everybody, and it, it, it makes for good television, it makes for good intrigue, and, you know, um, for so many years we've, we've thought of the Jays' principal rivals being the Red Sox and, and especially the Yankees, but the Rays are as well. I mean, the Rays have had their number for so many years, and they beat them in the playoffs last year. Now you add this layer on top of it, and I think it's uh, it, it's really a it really adds a lot of intrigue to what is, what what is going to be a rather interesting final two weeks of the season. Okay, let's so let's scrape away the uh, the obvious uh, the humorous stuff and, and get to uh, yesterday. Obviously, with Ryu out, uh, a missed opportunity there, uh, and for whatever ails him, obviously the the ensemble cast could not get it done. They got tagged for what a six spot in, in the third, so nobody was looking for that to happen, but it did. So uh, let's talk about the Ryu missing effect. It, obviously, it, it made a dent. Yeah, Jim, this is this is this is to, to me the real big story out of this series is with Ryu on the injured list and before going on the injured list uh, coming off of two terrible outings, probably the worst of his career, certainly the worst since 2019, it really leaves a hole in the Blue Jays' rotation and uh, the part of their team that had been a real strength over the last month and a half. And when we're getting to this point of the season, when we're getting towards must-win territory, you know, they were really hoping that they could do the raise thing yesterday and go with a, with an opener and sort of a bullpen day and and, and the wheels fell off as soon as Ross Stripling came in the game. Um, that's three bad outings in a row for him. He's sort of their designated long man. They thought that maybe they'd get three or four innings out of him, and and now they don't have that. They don't have that as an option. So we'll see what develops with Ryu if he comes off of the injured list. But even even when that happens, there's going to be some concern as to whether he's going to be able to return to the, his form from earlier in the summer. Um, and there's not, not a whole lot of optimism of that happening right now which essentially leaves them with only four reliable arms in the rotation. Um, you can shorten a rotation for a playoff series, but you have to have that rotation in full working order to get to the playoffs. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Charlie Montoyo and Pete Walker do uh, in terms of filling out those starts for the remainder of the season. So big opportunity for the Jays tonight in Minnesota. They, they race, the, they're a half game out now, and obviously after tonight it won't be a half anymore because they'll all have nine games left. So when you look at the Jays' final ten games and look into the crystal ball, what do you see? Well, you'd, you'd like to think that they have to win pretty much seven of them, six at worst, 
which means they can't afford to lose a series. And I think you really have to win three or four this weekend against Minnesota because that's that showdown at the Rogers Center next uh, next week with the Yankees, a three-game series there. That that may be the one that decides it all. Um, if one team were to, su- to sweep that series, then they would uh, have a serious upper hand going into the final weekend of the series. So really, I think you got to go three and one against Minnesota, probably two to one, two and one minimum against the Yankees, and see where you're at going into that final series against the Orioles on on, on the last weekend. Um, but yeah, so if they go three one two one two one, they're likely going to be in. But there's no gimmies this time of year, and we've seen it with the Twins. I mean, obviously their record is one amongst the poorer teams in in, in the league in the American League, but. Um, they can score runs, you know, and all, all you, you need to do is get them, see them get hot for a game or two, and then it could really tighten the screws on the Jays a little bit. But this is what we all want, right? This is meaningful September, late September yep. baseball, and uh, three teams in a race like this, it's, it's really, really a, a great thing for baseball. Yeah, and I think also because they lost the series in Tampa, you'd look at the losses and, and, and maybe be a little harsh on them. But this is just a, sort of Major League Baseball's 162-game schedule, evening things out, things that would have worked when they were really hot didn't work in this series, and that's just the way it is. And there's not much you can do about it other than move forward and follow the road map that you've 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 told us right there. I mean, I don't look too much into the Tampa loss. Do you? No, not at all. I mean, you nailed it, Jim. Like, people tend to read too much into one or two games of 162, and obviously there's more focus on them at this at this point of the season. But the Jays had won eight series, uh, won or tied eight consecutive series. This is their first loss in the series since since sometime in early August. And, and you know, against a team like Tampa, that's that's going to happen. Um, they're 16 and four or something like, like that in September right now. They're like this team is red hot still. They they have you know they haven't lost two games in a row since. Some, at some point in August, um, losing a series to to Tampa certainly loses a uh, leaves a bit of a mark. But uh, we can't, uh, we you know, it's uh, they have a chance to make up for it against sort of lesser opponents. And then with the three, the three more important series are the ones against the Yankees, against the Orioles, and, and against the Twins. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Rob. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, Jim. Anytime. That's Rob Longley, Blue Jays reporter for the Toronto Sun. Going to uh, flip over to the Tampa Bay Times reporter, Mark Tompkin, very shortly. Uh, so this is, I mean, there is some humor to it. Agua under the bridge, apparently not. Uh, and I'm going to call that Agua under the bridge guy. Uh, but, you know, nobody said, here's your card back. So that's sort of the, uh, well, we get into all the reaction. I, I guess it's okay to pick up somebody's information and and uh, and then take it as opposed to sign stealing. So I'm, I'm a little lost on that one, but I'm, I'm not a baseball guy. So that was okay. Uh, the hitting... Uh, uh, you know the the batter Baraki on uh, Kiermaier, uh, universally condemned by a lot of people in Major League Baseball because of what it could have uh, what could have happened out of that. There could have been a brawl on, on the diamond, and somebody could have been injured, um, and there could be suspensions. And, and quite frankly, there's a, you know a complaint. Steve Phillips said that that maybe uh, the manager Montoyo should have pulled everybody aside and said, D- don't even bother doing that because of, of what could come out of it. But uh, that's you know that's where we stand on that. Let's get the Tampa side. Mark Tompkins is here covering the race for the Tampa Bay Times. Mark, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Enjoying a uh, semi-day off. Yeah, for the, for the race. Uh, what did you make of, like, just let's go back to um, the data card theft, if you will. In Toronto, we'll call it the data card theft. You're going to call it something else. What did you make of that whole thing? And then, of course, the uh, the hit by the pitch yesterday. 
Well, I mean, I think if you go back to Monday and, and then the work that Sportsnet did and, and kind of bringing this all to light on Tuesday, I mean, I think it's definitely questionable why Kiermaier took the card or didn't throw it back on the ground when he realized it wasn't his. That was his initial thought was it was his card falling out of his pocket. So I think you can definitely question that. Um, you could also question how much benefit there really was. These teams have played 18 times. It was Sustato's card, not even Robbie Ray's card. He, what's going to be on there? Yeah, I mean, this is pretty standard stuff. There's no surprises. So I think you can have a fair debate about that. I think, or at least I thought as, as many of the race people did, that this was over when, first of all, the Jays did not throw at Kiermaier on Tuesday, which would have been kind of the logical time to do it. You had Alex Manoa on the mound. Obviously, he's been suspended before for throwing at a batter. They've got to keep the bigger picture in mind. Uh, but then Charlie Montoyo came out after Tuesday's game. Cash apologized to Montoyo, to Ross Atkins, to Pete Walker. Charlie was asked after the game. His direct quote was, it was Agua under the bridge. That would certainly imply that things were over and done with. Those guys, Montoyo and Katz, have a long-standing and very close relationship. I would assume that the Rays thought Charlie would be taken at his word there. Um, so then you get to the final at-bat of the regular season, and Kiermaier's up. And I think at that point, he'd already batted, what, seven times, I think, since Monday night, or Tuesday and Wednesday, you would have thought it was over and done with. And for Barucki to do that then, I think the Rays were right, that it was obviously intentional, obviously premeditated. Uh, the umpires obviously agreed by throwing him out. So I, I think that's where uh, the, the kind of animosity grew yesterday was that, you know, from what Charlie had said after the game Tuesday, this was over. The Rays said it was over. That's one thing. But the Blue Jays also said it was over. And then to go ahead and do that is what got everybody riled up yesterday so much. Yeah, I, I just I, I get stuck on this, and, and maybe it's just me. I mean, should they have just given the card back? They could have, but here, here's the point: they didn't. And then Charlie said it was over on Tuesday night, so that's that's where it, it came back up. You could debate that, sure. Could could uh, I asked Kimar that direct question yesterday? Why didn't you? I let him. He gave his whole explanation. He talked to us before the game yesterday. Was was you know open and discussing it to a degree and. I specifically said, just let me go back and ask you why when you were walking back to the dugout and you realized it wasn't your card from your pocket, you said you didn't want to walk to their dugout, fine, that would have been weird anyway, why didn't you just throw it back on the ground? And his answer, I, I think I've got it here in front of me, was you're overthink- you know, you're making too much of this, you're overthinking this, I just run 360 feet, I thought I was safe at the plate, they called me out, I've got this thing on my hand, I don't know what it is. I gave, went in the dugout and gave it to somebody. So you make, make of that what you will. He claimed there was no nefarious motive here, no deceit involved. I just, you know, I can't tell you what he really was thinking. But, but again, I think we, if you come back to why this was a big deal yesterday, it was because of what Montoya said after the game Tuesday night that it was over. Yeah, I mean that is that is the humor in this is what Kiermaier would say and then what Barucki would say and and if you you read between the lines you know exactly what's going on which I guess is is great if they meet in the playoffs right? Well, Kiermaier certainly fueled that up yesterday and a couple of <laughs> Toronto media were standing there when he said that to uh, to me and uh, I could tell they were all just racing to, for their phones and and seeing uh, looking ahead to that and uh, what he said if you if you guys didn't you sure you saw it, but he said is. Yeah. He really hopes that uh, the Rays would play the Blue Jays in the playoffs, and then somebody said, why? And he said, I think the motivation's there. It's all it needs to be said. So 
Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I thought the funnier line he had yesterday was unprompted when he made sure to tell us that Barucki's pitch did not hurt him at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that that's another point because a lot of people have criticized the Jays for allowing that to happen, and then there's a, a sort of a second layer of criticism that why didn't the manager hold a team meeting to make sure it didn't happen because of possible suspensions or possible injury if there's some sort of a, a fight on, on the diamond. What are your thoughts on that? Right, and that's, that's always the case for teams that are in contention when these type of things happen late in the year is someone has to be the voice of reason. I mean, this is I, I'm just hypothetically, what if, what if they end up pushing and shoving? What if Vladdy trips over a bat or something? Not even anyone hits him. What if Bo, Bo Bichette falls awkwardly and hurts his shoulder? Just like, I mean, they, their whole, you know, everything they've played for could go out the window just hypothetically if something like that happened in a silly scrum over, you know, kind of some silly revenge for a silly thing that Kiermaier did two days earlier. I mean, you have to have a bigger picture there. But, you know, do I think Ryan Barucki just did this on his own? I, I don't know. It would probably seem odd. I don't know him that well. If he's that type of guy, there are some players in the game who believe they're defending frontier justice and the history of baseball. But I, I just don't know if that's the Ryan Barucki move or not. Uh, certainly Pete Walker was fired up uh, after he got ejected. So, you know, there's probably some things to dissect there, as I said. Totally fair to dissect whether Kiermaier should have done what he did and if he shouldn't have, should have acted differently. Question what, if Charlie Montoya was speaking the truth on Tuesday night, which we all assumed he was, why did this still happen on Wednesday? And then, right, I mean, I, I think the least truthful thing was Ryan Barucki saying the pitch slipped. Uh, Mark, just a quick answer here. When you look at Boston, Yankees, and Toronto, how do you see that wild card race finishing? I mean, to me, the two best teams out of that group are Boston and Toronto. The Yankees have looked terrible for much of the second half of the season, if not the whole season. They don't play defense well. Their pitching has been disappointing, and their offense is hit or miss. So Toronto and Boston, to me, are the two best teams out of that group. I think that would be a fascinating uh, game, and whoever wins, a great series with the Rays. Yeah, well, 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 we'll write that down. I think we'd all be thrilled for that. Thanks very much, Mark. Appreciate it. You got it, guys. That is Mark Topkin, covers the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. We'll come back and wrap it up, set the stage for gameplay with Matt Cause. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand, and Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. It's hard to explain. I think the one thing I will say, and I truly believe this, is that because of our favoritism, our favorite on paper, it's their chance to shine. Uh, the Rotter Cup is owned by their tour, and it's a huge, huge boost for them if they win. I think they have more to play for, to be quite honest. I think it means more to them. And I don't mean individually. I mean the big picture. And it's their time to play the big, bad USA and to be on a stage and prove that I can play well and I can play against the best. Oh, true that. That is Curtis Strange and what advantage the Europeans have over Team USA. Former Ryder Cup captain and current ESPN golf analyst Curtis Strange at first up this morning. The TSN 1050 Ryder Cup coverage is brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Pick your favorite Subaru at the Adventure Picking Event on now. So that all tees up tomorrow, and we'll have Bob Weeks on the show tomorrow. Reminder, Leafs Lunch will be back uh, prior to the start of the Leafs season, so it's working its way back. We'll have a firm date for you uh, coming up sometime in the next week or so. And uh, just a couple of other notes coming up next. Gameplay with Matt Cause, and it airs every weekday, 1 to 4, on TSN 1050. Gameplay is Canada's first daily radio show show 
focused, 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 yes, guy, focused on sports betting and fantasy, providing listeners with the inside edge on every sport along with the latest lines, best prop bets, and more. And, of course, tonight there is Thursday Night Football. Our coverage on TSN 1050 starts at 8 tonight. Panthers taking on the Texans, the 2-0 Panthers against the 1-1 Texans. So uh, plenty of football action. And, of course, tomorrow night the Argos uh, at home to Montreal, and we'll have that game on TSN 1050 as well. So to recap, <laughs> I love the optimism in Joe Bowen's voice. It's great to hear Bonesy again on the air. And we will have the first preseason game Saturday night on TSN 1050, Montreal at Scotiabank Arena. The word is 9,500. Half capacity will be allowed, according to the provincial health people. So that's an optimistic sign. There was optimistic and in, in, uh, optimism in Bonesy's voice as well as we're getting set to launch the leaf season. And again, a reminder that when the leaf season opens October 13th, again, Scotiabank Arena against Montreal. TSN 1050 will have that game for you live on the air as well. So we've got the sort of bookends, start of the preseason start of the regular season right here on tsn 1050 I want to thank our guest rob longley and also uh from the tampa bay times mark topkins stopping by and off the top darren dreger talking about uh, the eichel situation gameplay is next